This is The Antidote on 92.7 FM.
I'm Dave Hawkins, and this is The Antidote on Trent Radio, 92.7 FM. Our playlist for tonight was set up by our guest and co-host for tonight, Christian Harvey. Man, thanks for coming on The Antidote, Christian. Appreciate this. I'm really happy to be here, Dave. It's a pleasure. I didn't think we were ever going to get a night that would work out for both of us. (laughs) (laughs) But it finally happened. Yeah. Hey, for you, Dave Hawkins, anything. And you rode your bicycle here. I did. Well, I only live like five minutes away, so. <laughs> you know, I thought I knew some pretty obscure bands, but your playlist takes a cake tonight, man. Well, I, I mean, I guess when it comes to uh, to music, I like to search and I like to find stuff. And so, and some of this stuff are, are friends of mine, uh, and some of them are stuff that uh, that has really influenced me. Some of it's kind of old. I mean, old, like 15 years old, nothing really older than that. But yeah, it's pretty fun. Because old is a relative term. It is depends a relative on, term. Dep- just depend on your age. Exactly. Well, and just music. If if you're, you know, if you're always looking for new music, then old is like a couple years old. But if you're if you're happy with the '90s, which was an amazing decade, then you know whatever. Well, one of those obscure ones was our opener tonight, the Lassie Foundation, Viva Animo. Yeah, yeah. They're a, they're an LA kind of. They were an underground band. Uh, there's this kind of scene. Um, I think they kind of still exist, but in the mid-90s, well, even early 90s, and then into the 2000s, there was a whole bunch of bands that were all playing together, and I think we got some other stuff from some of those bands, but it was like Mike Knott, uh, Wayne Everett, all these guys in, in L.A. were just kind of doing this kind of shoegazer kind of stuff, and I really, I was really into it. Like uh, Starflyer also? Starflyer, Starflyer was a part of it, yeah, yeah, so yeah. they used to play around with them. They were probably one of the bigger bands in that whole mixture of stuff. And still around, barely. Yeah, barely, barely. Yeah, barely, yeah. I don't know, Lassie Foundation, I was thinking was, these guys are out to preserve old uh, dog movies or something. Well, <laughs> they may be. I mean, I don't know them, so so it could be. But I always loved them because they had that kind of shoegaze meets the Beach Boys. And uh, I love the Beach Boys. I love shoegaze, and you bring that, those things together, and that's, you know, powerful. I actually saw the Beach Boys play. Really? Yeah, long, long, long after their prime time. But I actually did get that chance. Well, I, I always wanted to be like John Stamos, who got to play with the Beach Boys, you know, in Full House. That was a pretty powerful moment. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. You want to cue up our next track? So our next one is um, a band called The Welcome Wagon. Um, and why I like these guys, I mean, honestly, it sounds like it could be a Sufjan song, like Sufjan Stevens. Mm-hmm. And it basically is, because Sufjan produced this album. But I, I think they have a really good, like, simple kind of Sunday school sound to their songs. But... This one song, which is Up on a Mountain, um, the year it came out, which was a few years ago, I just listened to it over and over and over again. I remember looking at my iTunes, you know, play count. This was number one. And, and at first, I didn't really like it. But those are usually the songs that when they, the ones that take a while are usually the ones that stay longer, right? And this particular one, there was just something about it, the simplicity of it with the layers. And I really love the harmonies and stuff like that. And then the kind of sloppy drums. It's very Sufjan, but I think it's really cool. Oh 
the welcome wagon that should have been a segue into talking about you coming on this show oh Christian. yeah that's true well i yeah. i blew the opportunity <laughs> you missed it that's all right <laughs> we missed out yeah let's give a background on you sure because i don't know it's it's mean to say you're an oddity but you're <laughs> different because you went to pentecostal bible college yeah yeah but now you're an anglican church deacon yep yeah is that a stretch uh so kind of, it was a change for sure. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I did. I mean, I did music for a while and we'll probably talk about that later, I guess. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, I went to a Bible college. Basically when I stopped doing music, I didn't stop doing music, but when I quit doing it full time, I was like, I should learn about something. Um, and I was like, learning about God's probably safe. So, well, I don't know if safe, but it was like, probably couldn't go wrong. So I, I went to, uh, I went to Bible college. It was an interesting experience. Um, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, but um, there was a bit of, uh, there was definitely tension um, between questions that I had. Um, and uh, there's a lot that I gained from my Pentecostal upbringing for sure. And I, I'm really appreciated, appreciative of it, but there was also stuff that I struggled with. Right. And I felt like there wasn't a lot of freedom to ask questions. Uh, and so uh, I worked in a Pentecostal church um, that came to an end I felt like I was called to work in a church, uh, but it wasn't going to be the Pentecostal church. So I was like, huh, I don't know what to do. I got called up by a friend of mine who was a, a professor at the Bible college, but became an Anglican priest. He's like, hey, I heard you lost your job. I was like, yeah, that is true. He's like, have you ever thought of becoming an Anglican? And I was like, I've thought of working. And uh, and, <laughs> and and so uh, that's what I, so he said, well, come work for me. And uh, it was a really good fit for me because uh, what ended up happening is uh, it was a place where I could explore a lot of questions. There was not really any issues with that. And so I did explore a lot of questions and I've changed a ton. Uh, and it also allowed me to engage in injustice work that I was really keen on that I didn't feel the same freedom to do. So it's been great for me. I love the Anglican Church. There's a lot of things that drive me crazy about it. Uh, but uh, it is one of those places where questions are allowed. And it's also one of those places um, where there's such huge diversity. You got people believing all different types of stuff and we all have to live together. And so I've been a part of some pretty cool stuff of like trying to bridge barriers between people around the, around the world within our own country. And that's been fun. And see, that's where I would have thought that the Anglican Church would have been more structured but you're saying really it was the opposite way around. They were willing to look at different facets. Yeah. So the interesting thing is with the Anglican Church, right, is that um, you would look at it and our wor the worship style is much more um, structured, 
But the actual theology is where there is you can wrestle. Whereas I found I grew up, you could do anything in the worship service, which was fine, right? You could do whatever you wanted, but um, what you believed was you could only believe these certain things. And within the Anglican Church, that's not the case, right? So I would rather be be allowed to explore with my mind and have a contained worship service than than the other way around. For me, that was that's more important. So yeah, and, and so that's why I've really loved it. Now that that being said, I think there's play, there's room for us to be able to. The Anglican Church needs to become more flexible in a lot of ways, but uh, but they, they at least allow thinking uh, in a way. Not that other churches don't, but in a way that really excited me. Well, I'll talk about thinking, guys. Mike Knott is one of your favorite artists. Yeah, I mean, uh, he was he was a big influence on me. I mean, so much so this is embarrassing, but like. I when I was in LA with with a band uh, and we were touring, this guy I was staying with is like, yeah, I know Mike Knott, and uh, and Mike Knott's just uh, like most people don't know him, but he was just this LA sort of like on the verge of the Christian music industry, but never really fully welcomed and banned from a lot of stores and all that sort of stuff. But because he was really honest, right? He was an mm-hmm. alcoholic and he was honest about that in his music. And his songs were definitely not all about the bright side of things like this song we're going to listen to. Like some of the songs were super depressing, right? And he explored some rough stuff. And I thought that was really cool. And for me, I really needed that because I think music's supposed to explore those. So when I, when I was in LA, um, I heard that this guy knew Mike Knott. He's like, I got his phone number. He's like, do you want to call him? And I totally, I did. I called him and I knew I was just going to get his voicemail, but I heard Mike Knott's voicemail. I was so pumped. (laughs) So anyway, I went to his first show ever in Canada, which was in Windsor. uh, And uh, I was there and, you know, not many people at this show because Mike Knott's not that huge. And but I'm super pumped to be there. My friends, the Crush, which we we might hear later, they were opening and also played some songs with them. Uh, and and so they're like, "Hey, come meet Mike." And so I, I'm there, and I'm like, "Hey, Mr. Knott, my name's Christian. I'm I'm a huge fan. Actually, one time I called your voicemail just to hear your voice." And he was so creeped out, right? And he's like, "Cool. All right. Well, I'm just gonna go over there." And I was like, "Oh shoot." Anyway, this particular song, Double was one of the first songs I really fell in love with. It's also a song, cool enough, I was playing with a band, we covered it at a Bible college, and they shut off our mic midway through because uh, they thought it was too edgy or whatever. It's not really that edgy, but it made us feel pretty, pretty, like, rebellious. So that was cool. And we love edgy. Yeah, there you go. So this is LSU, Lifesavers Underground. He had so many different names for bands. But anyway, and here comes Double. One, two, three, four... Sitting there wondering why is it like this And the whole world's crazy and the earth is sick And someone's yelling from the bathroom door The toilet's overflowing on the floor And the one by the phone says I cannot hear While the one by the jukebox spills his beer And the man on the pinball hits 16 mil Someone ducks behind the counter to pop a pill And you reach in your pocket to see if there's more and the biggest pill falls so you're left with four and you're too gone to look but you still try then you see it in the hand of a great big guy who looks just like he'd kill you fast and you think 
for a minute You let it pass in The stool falls over when you sit back down It bumps a mean poor shooter from across the town He misses his shot, it's all on you And with your last four bucks you know what you do Sorry man, can I buy you a drink? He shakes his head and says, make it a double up at home and the little one there won't leave you alone she's awake and hungry she needs some potty help and you remember what happened last time she tried it by herself and your wife says hurry we're late for church and you can barely see and your head still hurts and the preacher starts preaching and you feel remorse he's got five little kids and a big divorce and your wife looks down says she don't know how he's been her god in life for 10 years now and his marriage is over it's barely alive and how in the world will ours ever survive And it's all on you With your last four bucks You know what you'll do Sorry man Can I buy you a drink And he shakes his head and says Make it a double Mike Knott Yep Did that satisfy you for the night? Yeah, yes, you know, it's good I hadn't heard that song Until yeah. you wanted me to do this show I hadn't listened to that song in a long time So I was pretty pumped to pull it out again And again, everybody that's listening If they really, really hate this playlist yeah. You got to get a hold of Christian Harvey all me. at St. John's Anglican. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's because true. this is not my fault. No, no, it's totally me. Yeah, I chose all these songs. So you used to do this for another station here in Peterborough for a little while. I did. Yeah, I was the DJ on uh, Chaos Radio. Wow. For a little while, I did um, the afternoon show and the Indie Spotlight, which was uh, yeah, it was pretty good. I got to interview some cool bands, play some good songs. So that was that was fun. You know, my mom liked it. So <laughs> okay, so music. Let's go way back to your roots. Yeah. I mean, everybody grows up with a band that they just absolutely adored. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's got to be one that your parents approved of. Shoot. So who did you love in your so this is, younger days? It's a little bit embarrassing, but like the band I listened to that made me want to be a rock star was the California Raisins. Do you remember California Raisins? So, so oh honestly, goodness. I loved, I stinking love the California Raisins. They did Sitting on the Dock of the Bay. Like honestly, so I still it's it's still one of my favorite songs. But like obviously, it's Otis Redding that I love now. But but at the time, it was just like, frig, they were incredible, right? They were everything, uh, and I I wanted to be. This is the tape that formed me. So I remember having it and being like, I'm going to be a saxophone player because every song had a saxophone solo. So I thought every band had a saxophonist, right? So I was like, I'm going to be a saxophone player. I'm going to be famous. It turns out like how many saxophone players are famous, like Kenny G and that's it, right? So I was like, okay, that's not going to happen. But at the time I was so pumped. So the California Raisins hugely influenced me, actually. I still like my uh, my love for like R&B, old school R&B, for hip hop, for all that sort of stuff definitely is rooted in the <laughs> in the influence of the stinking California raisins. I was within a millimeter 
of turning off your microphone. I, hey, I know. I was so, so embarrassed by what you've just done. Hey, but you know what? The singer of California Raisins, I forget his name, but actually played with Hendrix for a while. Like, like they, I don't okay. know. I'm just saying, like, no, I'm not going to justify it. I'm just saying they influenced me. Later on, I mean, when I got into high school, there was other bands that uh, I was, I was hugely formed by. I mean, I loved Actung Baby was one of those albums that blew my mind. I remember by U2, I remember just hearing it and being like, oh. um, you know, I, I look at it and different things that I think some of my key understandings of life are from musicians. I was just thinking of this the other day that you two formed. They introduced me to a lot of justice issues right through. I remember True. listening to Rattle and Hum yeah. and being like, who's this Bishop Tutu he talks about? And Desmond Tutu is one of these big influences in my life now or hearing the, the reference when uh, Bono in Pride says for the Reverend Martin Luther King sang. And I was like, that blew my mind. And I was like, who's this? And you two was huge for me other ones Ani DeFranco taught me to be a feminist right like and she was she was a big part of the 90s and still for me now Ben Harper's spirituality was was hugely influential to me so uh, throughout the 90s and like I was a teenager in the 90s those you know different parts were very very influential to me Uh, hip-hop was huge too and just like the injustice of racism. I remember listening to Arrested Development. You remember that band? Yeah. I, I loved Arrested Development. I still love Arrested Development. It's not just a TV show. And they were they were huge for me. Yeah. Well, now, you get a chance to redeem yourself a little bit from California Raisins because yeah. the only time I've ever seen Sarah Logs play uh-huh. was this past winter during a huge snowstorm up north of Peterborough. Yeah, yeah. And you were doing the percussion for it. It's true, yeah. Sarah and I have been playing together. I mean, she, she plays all over the place, but, but we've been... So actually, when I was playing, playing with Thousand Foot Crutch, I, I, I wanted to help other bands figure stuff out. And so I got together all these, all these like 15, 16-year-olds and like helped them form a band. And Sarah was the singer and she was super timid and that sort of stuff. But like we kind of formed, we picked a whole bunch of covers to, for them to play. And it was really cool. They actually ended up being really, really good. And then Sarah and I started playing then. And we've been playing together for probably about uh, 15 years. And, and she's just an incredible songwriter, an incredible musician. Uh, there's no one I like playing music with more than Sarah Lokes. And uh, this is, I think, one of her best songs. Uh, what really makes the song is the shaker and the tambourine. So, like, I, I, you can listen to the song, her singing whatever, but the shaker and tambourine is what makes this song. So. And effectively, this is her single, isn't it? Yeah, this is her single. There's a music video and stuff like that. Okay, Be As It Should from Sarah Lokes. Everybody's thinking about it, everybody's talking about it I just think, I think I'll do without it Everybody makes decisions all without a touch provision I won't swim my life just wishing I'd chase my heart and vision Say what you want about me, you can talk all you want about me But I refuse to be unhappy No, no, no I refuse to be unhappy Whoa, whoa I will wait until it's right I won't force the good in my life And I will trust that all will be 
brought up the topic here just a minute ago about thousand foot crutch tfk because you're one of i don't know do you call it one of the founders yeah i mean there was so there was an album before me called oddball uh that i didn't play on neil sanderson who actually ended up being the drummer of um three days grace was the drummer on that one but i was in it when we became thousand foot crutch so we came up with the name and started uh playing and touring and all that sort of stuff when i was in it so yeah 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 one of the founding members, I guess, you know? <laughs> wow. Not a lot of residuals from that, though. No, I no. mean, it was a good experience. Um, I don't I don't regret doing it. Um, it's not, you know, it was a good uh, move for me to move on, but uh, it was a lot of fun. I really loved the guys and stuff like that. So, and yeah, it was a party. sold a ton of copies, like, just out of the van. Yeah, oh, man, like, it was... Um, it was indie music at its best, right? Like we were, yeah. we were touring, um, playing a ton of small shows. I mean, it was pretty cool. We did a lot of work, uh, played a lot of shows for free. Uh, you know, started getting a hundred bucks a show, two hundred bucks a show. Made this little album. That's what people do. Um, sold that thing like crazy. And I remember we did this. One of my, it was near the end of when I was in it. I was in it from about ninety six to two thousand, and. Uh, Near the end, we played this festival called Back 40. Uh, it was a pretty wicked festival. It was in the Back 40 of some farm. Uh, and there was like 1,500 people there. And wow. I, I don't think we really knew the following that we had um, until we got on the stage at that show. And we had sold out everything we brought. And like every CD, every sticker. We, were, we just everything we had, we'd sold out before we even played. And we got up. And started playing our first song and everyone knew all the words. And that wow. was like a crazy moment. Because up until that point, we played, we were playing all the time. A lot of smaller shows, like a couple hundred people. We'd, and we'd sell out these smaller shows. But uh, but at that point, it was like, whoa, there's something going on. And uh, yeah, it was. I mean, that's adrenaline, right? And so that was a lot of fun to do. You're playing 1,500 people and they all know your songs. And uh, yeah, it was cool. Well, here's what was happening back in 1997 yeah. with Thousand Foot Crutch. That's what people do. 
And here's Christian, I guess, drumming on sunshine. Yeah. So can I tell a story about this? Tell first? the story about. All right. So so we practiced in my basement, right? Like this is where in my bedroom was our practice space. And my dad was like, "That's fine. You can practice in our basement whenever you want, but you have to do a cover of Cream, like you know Eric Clapton's Cream, right? Oh, He's I... like, if you're gonna do it, you have to play at least one Cream song every week. And so we were like, okay, let's make a rap metal version of of a Cream song. So that's what we did. This is it. Listen in.
there's the cover. There it is. <laughs> that's uh, that made my dad happy. And mm. keeping dads happy—that's what it's all about. Well, when you're when you're playing in their basement, it totally is what yeah. it's all about. Yeah, and eating everything out of their fridge. That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah, you need to do that. Yeah. Let's get serious. No. Yeah. Social issues. You brought that up earlier mm-hmm. because that's a big part. Well, it's a big part of who you are yeah, yeah. as a person, but also what you do with St. John's. You should yeah. fill us in. Well, for me, I mean, this is one of the things that I find most important is um, is just the reality that there is so much injustice going on. And, and as a minister, I feel like I feel like that's exactly what churches need to be engaged with. We haven't always been, or there's been parts of the church that always have been, but often we don't. But for me, I mean, that's it's so important. And when I started working at St. John's, uh, we're a downtown parish, right? Um, I'd always gone to churches in the suburbs. But when you're downtown, all of a sudden, you're faced with a lot of issues that you don't get faced with in the suburbs, because we really do have quite a segregated society uh, where, depending on where you are, you don't ever have to face poverty or any anything like that, right? So uh, for me, that idea of... Um, that I when, I when I began to be faced by it, right, and just even the, the reality that people would come in uh, to my office and say, I have nowhere to go tonight, right? I have nowhere wow. to go tonight. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be November. They couldn't use the shelters. They couldn't, and, and just that, and, and us having this empty building at night, or there, there being so many empty buildings, which just seems so ridiculous to me. Uh, that that I felt like um, something needs to happen, and I uh, for me, um, there's this passage in scripture, the um, the sh- story of the sheep and the goats, where you know um, basically Jesus says, uh, w- you know, whatever you do for the for the sick, for the poor, for the you know for the naked, for all these people, whatever you do for them, you do for me, um, and and that was always kind of glazed over growing up which I thought was really silly, right? Like in that passage, it's almost like your salvation is linked to how you treat um, the poor. Mm. And we never talk about that, but that's totally there, right? And so I was like, there's something. So for me, that was totally, that was huge. Uh, and and uh, I could never really shake that. And that has always both um, brought me comfort and and haunted me and all these ways, right? So, so um, I began to... You know, just do little things that I could. Um, but as I began to become friends with people who lived on the streets, I began to realize the issue. I mean, we always think, I just wrote a blog post about this today on the Warming Rooms blog. But um, there, we always tend to think that people are homeless because of something they've done. And we, we believe this lie that we live in a just world. We believe this lie that that good things happen to good people, that I deserve everything I've got, all this sort of stuff, right? We believe this because it makes us comfortable living in this world. Because if we if we don't believe that, then we have to acknowledge that um, that things are unjust around us and that we're a part of the problem. So we 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 believe this lie that I I deserve what I have, and the ugly flip side that we don't talk about as much, but comes out in our policies and all this sort of stuff, is that um, those who don't have must deserve that too. Mm. And and you can see that in the way we talk about people who are homeless and and it's and the answer always is let's help them make better decisions. 
But the reality is that homeless is a much big homelessness is a much and poverty is a much bigger problem than that, and that we make decisions as a society to allow it to happen. We live in a wealthy country. We don't have to have any of these issues. We have chosen to be okay with that. We have chosen to be comfortable with it, and and we allow it to happen. So for me. Um, that is my call, I guess, is to engage that, to try and to try expose that lie that we live in a just world, that we have what we deserve, and to start bridging the gap between between people who seldom ever see each other. You know, I think it's a whenever I talk in churches about um, about poverty, someone almost always says the poor will always be with you. Which I hate. I hate it when people say that. But what I always answer is like, yeah, it's crazy that Jesus said that. He expected the poor will be with us. And and he would never expect that there'd be a time in the church when we don't have the poor with, with us which we do now. Like many of our churches, the poor can't even get to us because they need a bus ticket. They can't get to, we're off the bus lines, right? That's right. We're out in the burbs. We're, we're, we're nowhere. So, so this reality is that we say, the, Jesus expected, you, if you're my followers, you're always going to be hanging out with those who are pushed to the margins and defending them and being with them and being in solidarity with them. Uh, and we've, we're at a time when that's not Christendom anymore. That's not Christianity anymore, right? We're not there. And so most people even ask, like, the biggest question I always always hear is like, well, how do I even bridge that gap? How do I meet someone, you know, because we're such a segregated society. But it's true, because I know even with myself living in a smaller town in the country, you know, there are no street people. Mm -hmm. And of course, meeting somebody here in Peterborough would be much more difficult. Mm -hmm. But even in small towns, I mean, we hide we because because I've been a part of some rural conversations, right? And poverty is is is, is we we hide it very well, but it's there, right? It's present. Um, but there's so much shame at, attached to it that people will never admit it or struggle to admit it, right? Even even some of the guys I work with who are homeless, um, I would love to have them speak about their homelessness, but we've put such shame on them for being homeless that for them to stand up and and, and speak for themselves. That means that they know that everyone's going to put all that baggage of how, how street people are seen, right? And so they feel that shame and don't even want to speak. Uh, and and that's, that's we've put that on them, right? We've done that. So what are churches doing about it besides St. John's? Is anybody doing anything? Well, no, I think so. I mean, I don't want to say we're not, we're in no way perfect in any way. Um, no, we're but, trying to. But, but you did step out and say, yeah, you know what? This is significant. We need yeah. to do something about this. Well, I, and in, say, the warming room, which is the, the one of the programs that I oversee, which is a, a, a an emergency shelter for those who can't or won't use the current shelter system in the winter months. Um, we we partner with uh, with Murray Street Baptist Church, which has done amazing things. And Casey Watson, cool. who's the minister there, mm-hmm. does amazing things there. Right, um, the warming room also we partnered largely with Auburn Bible Chapel, which was an amazing thing because we're we're you know churches don't really get along very well often, especially when you're crossing like Anglican Brethren Baptist lines. Like I don't think since the Reformation have we gotten along well, right? But but working together, Auburn's provided all the food. So there's that, but there's also a lot of churches, St Andrew a united church that's just struggling to survive has always given their lives to doing whatever they can um, to to kind of serve people saint uh, paul's a presbyterian i mean their building is is falling down right now but they they have always committed to doing meals uh george street united uh, there's a lot of really cool churches that are doing in in our city who are working and doing some amazing things um and, and this is an interesting thing is that often 
the churches that are doing that stuff are also the churches that are dying. Uh, wow. And that's, I, I don't know what you do with that, but, uh, but there's, some, you know, there's something sad about that, right? These churches that have been, that have been serving are dying. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think we, we often see, often people talk about life being a church that's alive is a church that's got lots of people. And I see a lot of churches that have a lot of people that do very little for their communities. Mm. And I see a lot of churches that are dying that do a lot for their communities. And, uh, and I think that should be a challenge, you know, to churches that be like, just because you have a lot of people doesn't mean you're actually faithful to what we're called to do. It's true. And, and so, you've laid it out for us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a hard thing. And that all being said, I mean, we, I struggle to live out all this stuff all the time. And I am nowhere near being the person that I talk about what we should be, right? But I, but I think as Christianity, we've kind of lost the... We made it all about ourselves, and and it's hard to read Jesus and see that in there. Um, Prosperity gospel happening too much. Yeah, and and we I mean we do smaller versions of it all the time, right? We talk about it in all kinds of ways, or you know, or even when we we see instead of actually doing something, we give money to a few things, which we think absolves us from anything. Uh, and I think that's that's too bad. Uh, and the other part of it is, but where where we as churches, I think, need to push beyond is that often what we get into is charity, right? Which is meeting immediate needs, which is important. But we also have to acknowledge that um, that charity actually, uh, if we only do that, actually makes the problem worse. Because something like the warming room, where just providing a warm space for people to sleep when they have nowhere else to go, or a food bank or a dinner, all those things don't do anything to end poverty, but they make us think we're doing something that'll end poverty. So actually the systematic issues of poverty can grow. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if we're going to, we need to do those little band-aids, but we need to, as a church, be challenging the systems that allow homelessness to exist. And that's where we get all scared, right? That's where we get scared is getting involved and saying and calling out um, policies and call and like doing concrete stuff. Martin Luther King talked about how um, uh, he said this really cool thing about, um, talking about the story of the Good Samaritan. We need to pick up uh, the people who have been beaten, beaten up on the, on the road to Jericho. But at some point, we need, to, we need to ask the question, why are people being beat up on the road of Jericho? And maybe the road to Jericho needs to be totally redone so that people aren't being beat up and killed on that side of the road, right? And, and that's something that we, uh, we get scared talking about, but it is one of my missions is to get Christians saying, okay, this is actually important. No, there was a lot of talk going on with you and I just when Occupy was coming up. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that was a big deal in Toronto. And you were actually trying to arrange like a bus. Let's go down with some young people. Yeah. And that was more of an instructional manual, Mm -hmm. trying to show them. Yeah. And, 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 I mean, some cool things. I mean, a friend of mine who's a priest in Toronto, Maggie Helwig, she, she was actually like right. She was a minister in Occupy. Right. And she still is. Right. She and I think that's where the church often distanced themselves. That's actually that prophetic role that Occupy played of calling out the oppressive systems of saying that income inequality is 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 wrong, um, which it is. Right. And, and if you follow that throughout Scripture, it's all over there. Right. I mean, people often criticized Occupy because they said Occupy didn't have didn't really have an answer. Well, how do you have an answer 
to such a massive issue, right? But what they yeah. did is called out the problem, which many of us were scared to even do. They were playing the prophetic voice, the Isaiah, the Jeremiah, the Amos, right? They were doing that stuff, which was incredible. Um, and, and Maggie was right in there. She got arrested, actually, while she was doing it. I mean, and that's where I think the church needs to be. We're scared to do it, but I think that's exactly where we need to be. Oh, I know. So many of the negatives that we're throwing out is going, you know what? This isn't actually happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we threw, people condemned it because it, it challenged our way of living. That's why, that's, what, that's why we condemned it, right? And so, I mean, it's not perfect. It was not a perfect movement. No movement is. But they tried, right? And they, they, they I think people talk about they didn't achieve anything. I totally disagree. Oh, no. I think they, they achieved, we began talking about the, the 1% is in our vocabulary now. Income inequality wasn't even talked about before that, right? We're at least talking about those issues, which are massive and growing in our country, Right. And, and, and that is a theme that has been ignored in our own churches. Right. We, we, we um, it's it's throughout the Bible is the idea of income inequality, whether it, the story of the rich man, Lazarus, the idea of Jubilee, which Jesus picks up and follows, you know, throughout the book of Acts, uh, Luke and Acts, that idea of Jubilee where no one can get too rich, no one can get too poor. Those things are all over. And we've made it all about, well, you know, me and Jesus and going to heaven, which is too bad because there's so much more in scripture and so much more radical stuff. And that's why we've had the Desmond Tutus, the Martin Luther Kings, the Dorothy Days, you know, those people who actually stood up and like, said stuff and we're like no we're more than that and i i think that's we need to we need to begin doing that again that was a rant uh it you're supposed to say amen at this point because i just preached a sermon and i'm just joking <laughs> <laughs> no we're gonna pass on doing that <laughs> this is why you are here yeah, yeah you're gonna pick a song uh, I would like to play Shad. Um, so uh, people might know Shad now because he's uh, he's the host of Q, CBC Radio Q. Um, but he's also right. an inc- I forgot about that. yeah. He's and but he's also an incredible hip hop artist, like incredible. I love all his albums. Uh, but this song off his last one uh, is called "Remember to Remember," and I just think he 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 uh, brings up some really cool issues in this that I, I love. I mean, I think hip hop. I call hip hop the Psalms of our time, right? It's it's these poems of like of hurt. And, and emotion and from the very places where things are often roughest and I think and it's very real and honest and messy and that's why I love hip hop and Chad is an incredible hip hop artist okay Chad remember to remember yeah I forget so often, God, no wonder I feel lost when I forget where I came from Or how I got past, now we ain't young, can't play dumb, the fun and game's done Man, man's a strange one Reverend, what you say, run, walk this way By the light of the same sun That's in the sky where the rain's from But the clouds make it hard to see him He's in my brother, I discovered that it's not so hard to be him I just lose him in the PM Thinking if I had to be him, I could hang with Mona Lisa's Like a piece in a museum, uh Beings deep inside, we decide if we free men. Remember to remember. Remember to remember. Just remember to remember. Remember to remember. Ooh. 
may have to forgive them forever every day they say life can make you bitter or better i say hey sacred or not it's all that we got love is what it is or maybe not what you thought woke up one morning started talking to pops he said there's lots you learned but a lot you forgot more often than not then you don't gotta be taught just remember to remember how you got to the spot that's hot i'm happy and healthy and dreaming and dying i'm loved and lonely and tired and trying i'm far and fading and failing with flying colors fumbling forward facing the sky and my aims to entertain and inspire walk through the rain and the fire pay bills keep sane and retire from the game with a name that's admired we're seeing the stars and aiming higher remember to remember 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 yeah Remember to remember, yeah. Break it down like this. Now I ain't never really been one for image or trying to fool the public with some stunts and gimmicks. Guys gravitate to blunts and Guinness to get the courage to fight the urge and I'm not to succumb to timidness in this world that's fully overrun with mimics with a penchant for overexposing guns and women view deals, funds as limited folks front to get in a game that ain't kind. Everyone's a critic but this ain't a race to win, so run to finish and as long as I got breath in my lungs to end it, the enemy is in the flesh and blood thugs and cynics be fighting fear and pride for the love of Remember. Remember to 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 remember. Struggle with needs, the rich struggle with greed. This camel struggle to squeeze through the eye of a needle, some eyes struggle to see. But we all struggle for freedom instead of freeing each other by letting ourselves be. Yeah, and it never ends. We only feel better when we feel like we're better than. Clever men in our violence silence is when we shoot from the lip to quiet Then we talk non-violence and stay silent when it suits Really it's all violence at the root The same James Wilkes in the booth But tyrants aren't tyrants in the group It's who started the shooting, who knows We were all just born inside of this truth Taught to shoot is youth Taught us just humans being human But the truth is the truth is bulletproof Remember to remember And that was Chad, Remember to Remember this has been The Antidote with Dave Hawkins and tonight's guest, Christian Harvey, here on Trent Radio 92.7 FM. 
Next week, we spend some time with a band that covers some really unusual and maybe peculiar topics. But we're going to be speaking with Nate of Destroy Nate Allen and their folk punk music. So you got to be sure to tune back in next Wednesday at 9. But again, that's for next week, because Christian and I still have to finish up for tonight. Christian, it's been awesome having you on. Dave, it's a pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Well, you've been involved in too many bands. I got to play, I've gotten to play with a lot of great people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too many bands, I guess, is just relative. Yeah. Okay, we're passing on one that we don't even have time yet to bring on. Um, Talk about this band, Maggie Fame. Yeah, so it was fun. It was just like, um, so there was a band, there's a bunch of bands. There was, um, there was a band called Star in the 90s. It was a Peterborough band. There was a, there was a band called Hibiscus Bloom, which were from Burlington. Uh, I was in Thousand Foot Crutch. Um, and we kind of, what happened is that we all kind of, I left Thousand Foot Crutch, Star and Hibiscus Bloom uh, folded, and we all liked each other. And so we all started playing together, and it was a lot of fun. Um, we were all in pretty well. Hibiscus Bloom wasn't, but the the Star and Thousand Foot Crush both kind of heavier bands, and so we kind of wanted to do a bit of a lighter thing, and uh, and it was a real. We just started jamming, and and it was a lot of. It's one of my favorite albums that I've played on, though very few people have it. So it was cool. This song is called Cinderella's Big Regret, and it's one of my favorite from the album. We're gonna see it next week, and here we go, Maggie Fame. To your party, and you cried on my sad shoulder, and I was wishing that you were another year older in time. And time can fix it all, they say, but I don't know.
She said, I said, I said, she said.